Right, so we are looking in these Sunday mornings, we are looking at a couple of chapters of Luke's Gospel, a little bit more slowly, and we're letting Jesus' teaching breathe, as it were. We're giving him the microphone. We're letting him say what he wants to say on his own terms. And last week, we introduced a word, that, uh, a big Bible word that needs some walking around, called repent. And various folk said to me, Chris, why... Why don't you slow that down and explain what repentance is? Which is a really good idea because that's exactly what Jesus does. And the story we just heard about a man, a farmer, going to a field, uh, looking to his vineyard and finding no fruit on a fig tree, uh, is Jesus' way of talking about what repentance is and how it works. Now, those of you who know me know that Asking for any advice on gardening from me is a fairly pointless activity. But even I know, from the state of the things I planted in our garden this year, that no fruit is a bad thing. I had plenty of no fruit on the stuff I tried to do. Um, And that's basically what's going on. So imagine for a moment uh, a vineyard, a bit gruffier and scrappier than the kinds of things you see in France or Germany these days, but a vineyard, a functioning vineyard. And the way agriculture worked, you want to make good use of the land if it's arable, so you, um, you planted other stuff in as well. And this uh, man has planted a fig tree in the vineyard. But of course, by p- putting a tree in the vineyard, that tree is sucking up valuable water, taking in valuable nutrients from the vine. The vine is supposed to be producing grapes. The fig tree is supposed to be producing figs. So he goes and he expects to find some delicious figs. Here we go. This is what they look like, if you can't remember. Sort of a purpley, greenish fruit. We've got some big ones to put up on the screen so you can uh, have a look at what they are. Um, Really quite nice ones here. They're sort of soft and squishy. There we go. But this man goes along and finds... Nothing. Absolutely nothing. No fruit at all. He's tempted to say, just rip it up. It's taking goodness out of the soil. The man who's actually looking after the, the vineyard for him says, no, g- give it a year. Give me, give me one more year to, to feed it, nourish it, prune it, do everything I need, and let's see if we can get some figs off this fig tree. If not, let, let's dig it up and take it away. What's going on? Well, Jesus is telling a story to the people of his day about the people of his day. He's saying, I have come. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you will know that when you talk about vineyards and fig trees, you're you're kind of talking about God's people, frequently used pictures. He's come along and he said, I'm expecting to see some fruit. And I'm seeing nothing. But God is patient, and he's going to give you a season before he uproots this fig tree. Now, what happened in history was this. Yes, Jesus died. Jesus was crucified. There were about 40 years or so after that when people had a chance clearly to hear the message of Jesus. After which, AD 70, one of the turning points of history for God's people. The Romans encircled Jerusalem, captured it, demolished it, raised it to the ground, and started again. Jesus was warning that 
judgment, although it's delayed, would happen. Now that was, I, I think, I'm pretty sure, that was a particular event that Jesus was warning a particular group of people about. But it's got resonance, it's got echoes, it's the way God works with us, which is to give warning and to be patient, but nonetheless say that judgment will come. So Jesus is giving a little story here which is about the business of repentance. It's what he's been talking about before. So what is it? What is repentance? Or in this, in this parable story thing, what is the fruit from the fig tree that Jesus is looking for? What's he expecting to find among his contemporaries? What's he expecting to find among us? It's a good question. It's the right question. And it's actually a question that the Bible answers in various ways or connects up. If you flip back with me to the beginning of Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, page 1029, this is uh, John the Baptist talking to a crowd. He's, he's, he's not the most sort of, he doesn't start with a joke. Verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So he's got the picture of fruit and repentance being connected. You say, okay, John, what do you mean? Good question. Look at the top of the next column. What should we do then? The crowd answered. And John answered, anyone's got two shirts, share with the one who's got none. Anyone has got food, do the same. Tax collectors come, what should we do? Soldiers ask him, what should we do? It's to do with our lives showing that we have taken something on board. That's what fruit in keeping with repentance means. And it's an idea that comes up time and time again. If you flip across to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 26, page 1124, this is Paul speaking, and he's reflecting on all his ministry, and he says, uh, Acts chapter 26, verse 19, he says, I preached that they, they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So repentance, which is, really is to do with changing the way we think about God, change, changing the way we think about God has to have some kind of impact in life. And fruit, or deeds, to decouple the word, is kind of what's going on. So, what is it? Well, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to stand away from the parable. Take the parable for a moment. We're going to stand back and, and think about the various elements that make up repentance. How does repentance work in a Christian's life? Well, here in Acts chapter 2 is the very first day that people understand what it means to be a Christian. They hear the message about how Jesus has, was crucified and has been raised from the dead. And the people who did this are struck. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart 
and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, if you look at that carefully, you'll see there's three things going on. When the people heard this, that is, there's something they understood. There's the message about Jesus dying, rising again, which they understand. There's a, there's a, there's a word. Like John the Baptist had a message about Jesus coming. Jesus had a message about himself. Here's Peter reflecting on it. The same thing. There's a message to understand. Head. But it's not just understanding something intellectually. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were affected by what they heard. And then they said to Peter, brothers, what shall we do? Head, heart, hands. And those three dimensions, something to understand, something to feel, something to actually put into practice, are time and time again what the Bible means by repentance. Those three things come together. I've got a way to remember those three things for us, and they will spell out the word fig, just to make sure that we don't forget our figs. Before we do, I need to say a couple of things. First is this. This is not about getting your life sorted out first. Repentance is not like clearing your house before the in-laws come to visit. It's not like that. It's not saying, I've got to have my life sorted out before I can become a Christian. It's not that at all. It's saying, here are three things, which is like a solar system. I don't know whether the Earth worked before the moon or Venus or Mercury or whatever. The sequence isn't important. They all circle the sun. And these three things all circle inside a Christian's life continuously. It's not one, then done, two, then done, three, then done, good. It's a permanent solar system in a Christian's life. Second thing, and some of you will need to hear this too. This is not something for which we get any credit. There's a real risk that you think, Repenting is something I do to make God smile at me and give me a tick, a gold star. In, in, in Bible terms, a work. It is not that at all. There's a, there's a wonderful old hymn called Rock of Ages, and it says this. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no respite know? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. You could not repent enough to obliterate your sin. You couldn't do it. No, no, that, that's the long-term Christian thinking. We cannot do enough to wipe it out. It has to be God who does it. What we're doing is positioning ourselves properly so we play our part. Okay, so here's the three things that may spell out the word fig, so you can go across to Everfresh and you can buy your frigs like I have done here, which we'll enjoy later on today, and it will remind you of these three things. F, forgiven faith. Forgiven faith. That is, we understand that it is, as we've just seen, thou must save and thou alone. The basis is Jesus on the cross for us. 
If you've been around churches a bit, you've seen this, but it is still true and it's really important. This hand is me. This hand is Jesus on the cross. Me, I've got, this is my planner. It's kind of my diary, everything I have done and failed to do for the last quarter. Um, This is me, everything. And it kind of weighs me down and it's a barrier between me and God. Bible term for sin, okay? That is everything about me. And when Jesus dies, that goes across to him and I am free. But that is only half the story. You see, what Jesus has over here is a perfect life. I've got blue there for heaven, okay? Kind of work it out. What Jesus has got there is perfection. Now, I can't juggle this, so I'll have to use the lectern as well. But what I've done wrong goes across to him. And what he has done right comes across to me. And that's how God sees every single Christian, as perfect as the Lord Jesus is, as right with him as every Christian is. You see, that if we only have the first part of the story, we think, okay, um, I the last three days I've done this, this, and this. Jesus, you died for me. And then three days later, well, I've forgotten, I, I swore at work. I swear again, <laughs> Jesus, forgive me. But actually, the Christian life long-term is this. Everything I ever have done and will do is on him. And all his sweetness, all his goodness, all his perfection, all his righteousness is on me permanently. I haven't got to play that dancing game with things I've done wrong. Everything which is his is mine. And so repentance isn't how you start as a Christian. It's how you carry on for the rest of your life as a Christian. It is living in the light of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's coming to God on a daily basis with open arms, open heart, and saying, Lord, sort me out. In the light of Jesus' death for me, sort me out. And we've got no clearer picture of that than what we're going to do later on this morning with bread and wine as pictures of God's kindness to us and Every blessing that comes to us through the death of Jesus permanently for us as Christians. Forgiven faith. Flip side of that, the G. Godly grief. What do I mean, godly grief? What I mean is this. We look at ourselves and when we see ourselves through God's eyes... We see our sin as it affects our relationship with him. You see, there are other words we might use. Sometimes people talk about remorse or regret. I do wish I hadn't done that. Oh, I live with the consequences of, of, of that disastrous conversation with my sister. I do wish I hadn't done that. Or maybe you think a little bit deeper and you... You know that you've got habits, you've got destructive habits, and somehow that online thing still keeps happening, and you wish it didn't, and you regret that it does. But those are all horizontal feelings, regret, remorse. The difference with repentance is that it brings God crashing into the equation. How does this fundamentally affect my relationship with God and therefore ripple out into my relationship with others? 
That phrase, godly grief, is a, is a strange one, I know, but join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It's on page 1163. The Corinthians are up to all kinds of, of mischief. There are, if you think the church today is in a mess, you should see the church in Corinth. And, and Paul has written them an absolute... One of those letters that Harry Potter receives, the ones with little wings on, flamer or something like that. He's written one of those. And um, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6. Even if I called you, caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. What a thought. Slow that one down again. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. That's fruit, isn't it? That's fruit showing that they have repented. So, we've got forgiven faith. That's the head part, something to understand. That's, there's godly grief. That's the heart part, something to experience. What's the hands part? It's the eye. Inspired improvement. Why inspired? Because you, Christian, have got the Holy Spirit inside you. And the Holy Spirit is working in you to bring about God's plans. Philippians chapter 3. I'm sorry we're dancing around, but this is such a big Bible theme. It really is worth seeing time and time again. 1179, if you're flipping pages. Um, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, we're in verse 12 of chapter 2, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the fruit, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his God's pur good purpose. God is at work in you, so you work out your salvation. Inspired improvement. Holy Spirit's at work in you, so you keep changing, you keep moving. You keep growing, you increasingly become like Jesus. I don't know when you do your planning. I, my, my planner encourages it, me to do it every week to sit back and every quarter to stand back and look at the whole thing. I don't know when you do it. It encourages me to do something it calls KISS. What am I going to keep? What am I going to improve? What am I going to stop? What am I going to start? Ah, it strikes me that's a good and healthy thing for any Christian to do, isn't it? To stand back every so often and say, in my life, from where God is leading me, what am I going to keep? What am I going to improve? What do I need to stop? What do I need to start? But that's inspired improvement. God at work in you to make you more like Jesus as you take the steps of obedience.
So there you go. We talked about head, heart, hands. We talked about the head being the message where we understand the death of Jesus and forgiven faith. We talked about a heart that's marked by godly grief, understanding how our sin affects our relationship with the Father and putting that right. And then we've talked about the hands, the the inspired improvement as we seek increasingly to become like Jesus and to serve him. And we've seen how that spells out fig, the very thing that Jesus looks to see in the vineyard. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, this little story has had a sting for the people of your, of your day. It has a sting for us too because there is still a warning of harvest day, a warning of judgment, a warning of your, turn, of your return, and a warning of our accountability. But you have in your kindness warned us what you are looking for. You have shown us the need for fruit in keeping with repentance. And we pray here today that we will be people who are marked by understanding our forgiven faith, by experiencing godly grief, and by working out, by your inspiration, our improvement to live and work more like you. Amen.